You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. About this. He said, stand up. Take a posture of victory. Stand up and fight for your families. Fight for your homes. Fight for your marriages. Fight for your children in Jesus' name. We're in the book of Nehemiah, and we're talking about what it means to stand up. Stand up and stand in the face of whatever it is we, we, we confront today, and God's going to give us victory. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we stand up right now in this place, and we fight for what's righteous. We fight for what's right We fight for our families, Lord. We fight for our marriages, our children, our homes, our businesses. Lord, we just thank you for your amazing grace. And today, that you would continue to provide as we open up your word, we open up our hearts, and we receive from you today. Just touch our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say together, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Cody and team, thank you. Thank you for leading us in worship today. That's great. Appreciate that so much, so much. These guys are good, aren't they? They do just such a great job, and I'm just, uh, just glad I get to hang out with them. You know, I'm not uh, musically inclined, so it's always nice to have friends that are, and I can just be a poser. I just hang out with them and act like I am. So, Well, this morning we have uh, our discovery class going on right now, so there's a group of folks that are just diving in, finding out a little more about Canby Foursquare Church. If you're interested in that, let us know. So we want to welcome all of our guests today. We're just glad that you're here. We have a Canby Connect card that you can fill out and get to us if you'd like. It just allows us to stay in touch with what's going on in your life. And really, it helps us understand and pray for community. So we want to continue to do that in Jesus' name. So this morning, and I think you remember last Sunday, we began a series titled Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. It's a study in the book of Nehemiah. Now, if you want to get a head start, I'm going to tell you where Nehemiah is. It's 16 books into the Old Testament. So you can jump on that. We're going to look at chapter 1 in just a moment. And really, this is an amazing place for us to hang out. There are a lot of reasons I love the book of Nehemiah, but one of my favorite reasons is Nehemiah is a manual on leadership. If you want to find out about leadership, you want to find out how to lead your home or your community, your family, go to Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah is extraordinary when it comes to teaching us the skills and the character of what it means to really stand up and fight for those that you love. And that's why I really appreciate the book of Nehemiah. If you remember, Nehemiah was one of the few in the Old Testament books who was somewhat uh, of an ordinary guy. You remember, he's a cupbearer. That he's a, he's a working man. Uh, and the reason this is unusual in the Old Testament is because most of the authors were prophets, they were priests, they were kings, they were nobility. But Nehemiah was a cupbearer for a foreign king in a foreign land. But he never forgets his fellow Jews who are in Jerusalem. They're about a thousand miles away uh, and they're living in shame. They're living in disrepair. They're living in disgrace. The, the, the walls of this once great city of Jerusalem have crumbled. Uh, the Babylonian captivity, they came in years before and they ruined the walls. They destroyed the cities. They took people off into captivity into Babylon. And then Babylon is taken over by Persia. And that's really where we find Nehemiah. Nehemiah 
is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, who is the, the king of, of Persia. He's in his home, his palace in Susa, that today is southwestern Iran. And so he has this heart for people. You just need to know that about Nehemiah. I was reading this the other day, thinking, God, give me this kind of heart for people. I mean, give me this kind of heart to see lives repaired, people restored. So in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, we, we hear how Nehemiah responds to the news of his countrymen who are in exile and, and, and the, the condition of Jerusalem. And it says this, beginning in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, that's in the fall, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, uh, I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, that they had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. They're in great disgrace. And the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, the prayer that he's praying before you day and night for your servants and for your people in Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying that if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place that I have chosen as the dwelling for my name. Verse 10. And then they, your servants, and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Do you just feel the heart and the emotion, the compassion of Nehemiah for these people that are separated, really, uh, from, from the dignity of what it means to serve God? Uh, what it means to be a real follower of God. They were held in captivity. They were meant to be kept poor. And the compassion of Nehemiah has what he has for his people is really remarkable. Considering the fact that he doesn't really know most of those people. Most of those people that are in exile had been in exile for quite some time. Nehemiah, the best we could tell, had grown up under captivity and in captivity. He might have had a handful of relatives that were there in Jerusalem, but, but by and large, he just hears this news, and he knows that he's connected to these people. He knows his lineage is there, his heritage is there, and so he steps up. And in chapter 1, we see Nehemiah's love for his people move into action, and I think it happens in a few ways. The first thing I see when I read this passage of Scripture is Nehemiah loved enough to ask. 
That's a, that's a good thing to remember for, our, for a lot of us. He loved enough to ask questions. And asking questions can be a very, very difficult thing to hear or to, to do and then to hear the response. Because sometimes we, we ask questions and, and we ask questions in a way that we're going to get the answer that we want. But here, Nehemiah is very open to know exactly what is going on with his kindred in Jerusalem. He asks the difficult questions. He wants to know. He dives in and he loves so much that he cares. You know what I think about Nehemiah is, uh, why would he even ask about a struggling remnant? Why would he do something like this? I mean, he was comfortable and successfully secure in his own life. And besides, it it wasn't his fault that his ancestors had sinned that his relatives had fallen away, that, that they became disre- disrepaired spiritually. It wasn't something that he said uh, or knew or understood to be his fault directly. But what he does is he comes to this place where he sees Jerusalem. He understands Judah. And to answer why Nehemiah is experiencing what he's experiencing, I think of the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who talked about the captivity of Babylon 150 years prior. And Jeremiah laments in Jeremiah 15.5. It's written 150 years prior by Jeremiah. It says, For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside and ask how you're doing? I'm sure these are words that resonated in Nehemiah's heart and and he heard these words and probably practiced them over and over again saying, I do, (laughs) I care, I am concerned about the state of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. The easiest thing for me to do is not to ask questions. If you've ever been in a circumstance, especially in a relationship or with family, uh, sometimes you just feel like, I'm going to just stay quiet because if I ask a few questions, it might stir a few things up. And I think the reason for me is probably because information brings obligation. That once I start asking, there's an obligation to be part of the solution. And we begin to look at our calendars and our time and wonder if we can actually do it. See, what you don't know is the adage, can't hurt you, when in reality, what you don't know can hurt you very much. Nehemiah asked about people because he had a loving heart, because he loved these people. So here's one of my takeaways when I read this passage of Scripture. Facts do not cease to exist because you ignore them. The facts are there in our families. The facts are there in our community, in our nation. And just because I might tend to ignore them, it doesn't mean that they don't exist. You see, there are things around us, there are people around us that God is asking us to pay attention to. Closing our eyes and ears to the truth could be the first step toward tragedy for ourselves and for others. What were the hard truths that Nehemiah learned about concerning Jerusalem and his people? Well, I think there are three words that keep popping up, three words that I'm sure came to his mind and his heart. One word was the word remnant, the exile, the escapees. You can say it any way you want to. It, it's not a good thing. Another word that I'm sure he heard over and over again was ruin. It's in ruin. It's in disrepair. Jerusalem can't, can't defend itself. It can't stand up for itself. And then the other word, the word that probably hurts the most, goes the deepest, is the word reproach. 
that all the other nations looked at Jerusalem, looked at Israel as people of reproach because they couldn't, they couldn't protect their own people. They were in exile. When it's people that you love, you, you want to hear things like thriving and healthy and confident. Isn't that true? <laughs> those that you really care about, those are the words you really want to hear. But sometimes it's more painful, but it's necessary to hear the hard things. It's also important to ask yourself, why do you want to know? I think especially today with all kinds of social media going around, it's, it's, it's a question of why do you want to know this? Because there are just some things, honestly, I just don't really want to know because I don't need to know it. It's just extra. It's just more. It's more than I can manage. So asking yourself the question, why do you want to know about someone's peril? Why do you want to know about someone's hardship? I think it's important for us to do that. Allow the Holy Spirit to, uh, to show us the way, to convict our hearts if our hearts need to be convicted. Because sometimes I'm wondering, am I asking this because it's an interest born of love or is this just idle curiosity? I might be leaning in more at times to idle curiosity as opposed to really wanting to know something because of the compassion I have for people, God's people in my own heart. You know, I think it's important that we do ask good questions, especially those that might be struggling, those that are going through a hard time. I know it's uh, so important to be able to say, how are you doing, and really mean it. Through the years pastoring here, there have been people that have gone through difficult times, hardship, death, tragedy. And for us to just try to ignore that is not a compassionate community, but for us to ask questions, how are you doing? I always start this way, and some of you heard this before. I know it's a loaded question, but how are you doing right now? How are you doing right now? It's amazing the healing that can come from asking honest questions about things that are difficult in people's lives. I remember a conversation I had with a mother right back here in the church about four or five years ago who had lost who had lost her, her son to, uh, to tragedy. He was struggling with mental illness. He was schizophrenic, and, and he was on the street, and he was, um, he was shot. And I just remember my heart breaking when I heard the news come to find out that the young man grew up in this church, and we baptized him here in this place. And, and uh, I stood over in this corner, and I said, I know this is a loaded question, but how are you doing? And she said, I really feel guilty. I said, why are you so guilty? She, be, she said, because I, I don't worry about him anymore. I know he's in heaven. I, I know that he's not hungry. I know that he's not cold. I know that he's in his right mind. Can you uh, uh, imagine, and I know some of you have done that, have gone through those kind of times but just to be in a bubble of silence, just to be in a community that doesn't say anything and actually tries to ignore those difficult questions and people going through those difficult times. Listen, we need to be people with courage. We need to be people that step up and say, how are you doing? Can I just walk with you? I don't have much to say. I, I really don't have much to say. I don't have a lot of wisdom. But what I do know is I, I, I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. And I'm going to pray that God's presence touches your life. You see, that's what community is really all about. Nehemiah was one of those guys. Remember what his name means. Yahweh comforts. God comforts. 
The second thing here is Nehemiah loved enough to cry. <laughs> he, he loved enough to weep. There's something telling about people who laugh or cry. I, I think there's something telling about um, our character, our personality, who we are. It says in verse 4 that, that he wept. He sat down and he wept. And for days he mourned and he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. There's something about weeping. There's something about crying. And here's what I mean. People who laugh at, at others' mistakes or misfortunes certainly lack character. And uh, I'm not saying that you have to do that out loud. I think there's sometimes inside we might be laughing or scoffing and say that person really deserved that. I think that's a time for us to get our hearts tested. That's a time for us to be reproved when we feel that or think that about other people. What's your response when you hear about individuals that have fallen on hardship, individuals that maybe you weren't really close to and actually maybe really didn't even like? How do you respond to their misfortune? On the other side, when someone weeps because something trivial happens to not go their way, uh, they, they could be, uh, that could be an indication uh, of a character that's self-absorbed and, and self-centered, lacking maturity. The reason I say that is because sometimes weeping is seen as a sign of weakness, but with Nehemiah, it's definitely a sign of strength. We see people all through Scripture, people of strong, great character, that they weep over the things that break God's heart. Nehemiah is doing this right here. We're seeing a model of someone that's weeping because he knows those are things, those are people that have broken God's heart. We see that all through Scripture. I think that, that is a, a great sign of, of, of strength. When God puts a burden on your heart, when he's laid someone on your heart to think about and to pray over. Let me ask you this. Do you run from that? Do you try to escape? I'm going to just encourage you today to embrace that. that. That really is God asking you to come alongside and help carry someone else's burden. Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, hey, come alongside and carry the weight of others' burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Nehemiah was one who didn't shy away from carrying others' burdens. Listen, if you don't carry others' burdens, you may in fact miss a blessing in your own life. That you have a burden, maybe you have a burden for someone or someones or a group of people or a nation. God has given you a burden and that goes deep in your heart. Let me, let me applaud that. Let me encourage that. And in fact, let me continue to pray with you that God would only deepen that in your own life. But let me, let me say something to those that feel that deeply. Don't become bitter. Don't become angry when others around you don't get it. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, there's something God is working in your heart and you share it with someone else and, and you can just... You can just see their, their eyes are blank. They just, don't, they just don't get it. They don't understand. I think there's a place where we need to continue to pray. But don't be angry because other people don't get what you get. I've seen that in churches. I've seen that in organizations. Well, they just don't get it. You know, they may not. But we can't be bitter. We can't be angry because I can tell you this. It will dilute and pollute the burden that God has given you. 
This is about a relationship that we have with a loving God that has asked us to love other people unconditionally. See, the psalmist says this to us, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 35, I love it. Remember that your tears, the tears that you shed for those around you and even for a younger generation, when you shed those tears, I think what's happening is you're watering the seeds of God's will in their lives. Continue to do that. Let yourself cry. Let yourself weep for the hearts and souls and conditions of others. I'm so thankful for people in my life who shed tears on my behalf. (laughs) They looked at me when I was younger and they thought, whoa, this guy is really spinning out. This guy's gone off the rails. This guy can't be really, I mean, he's not really a potential Christ follower because they act different than he acts. But I have people in my life that I know, would go in their prayer closet, shut the door, and they would weep over me. And those tears, those tears really, uh, they, they helped grow the seeds of God's will in my own life. About five years ago, I was sitting um, at my son's house. We were having a summer barbecue, great, all the grandkids, everyone was out there, and, and my dad was there. And um, I sat next to my dad, and I was watching my dad watch my grandkids. You could tell it was intent. There was a focus. And he was just, he was watching them running back and forth and playing. And my youngest grandson at the time was standing in front of him. He was about two years old. And I, I just leaned over and I asked my dad this. I said, Dad, did you see him 40 years ago when you were praying for our family and that we would be Christ followers? And he looked at me, had tears in his eyes. And he goes, yes, I was hoping this would happen. Our tears are really a down payment for someone's future. Go before the Lord. And if it means that we weep, it means we cry, we do that. And then there's something here. Uh, The third thing, Nehemiah loved enough to pray. You see that in verses 5 through 10. And this prayer is one of 12 prayers recorded in Nehemiah. The book opens and closes with prayer, making it obvious that Nehemiah was a man a man of faith. He was someone who lived in what we call last week that faith space. You know that place that God tests you? That, that place where God tries your faith because the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith is much more precious than gold. It's impossible, impossible to please God without faith. So Nehemiah is in this faith space with God. He's being tested. He's being tried. And it looks like that he's passing the test, doesn't it? God brings us to these places. And in verse 5, Nehemiah calls out to the God of heaven. Four times in Nehemiah, he uses this title. It's a, it's a familiar title. Maybe when you heard this or read this, you thought, well, that sounds familiar. I think, it's, I think it's used in the New Testament, and it is. It's that place when the disciples had gone to Jesus and said, would you teach us how to pray? We really don't know how to pray. Would you help us pray? And the first thing Jesus does is he begins the prayer by saying, our Father who art in heaven. See, that, that, that's, the way, that's the way they were instructed to pray in the Old and then in the New Testament. It's a, it's a prayer of adoration. It's a prayer of acknowledgement, being able to say, God, you are in heaven. You are in charge. You are sovereign. And everything that happens in my life is 
providential. It's, it's not something that happens by accident. It's not a lark. It's something that you've designed, that, that you use to make me more like Jesus. See, Nehemiah's prayers consisted of three kinds of prayers. If you go through chapter 1, there are three kinds. The first I've already mentioned is the prayer of adoration. God in heaven. God in heaven. I, I was reading this and I, I couldn't remember the last time I started a prayer like that where I acknowledged his authority in my life, where I acknowledge the fact that he's in charge and I'm not. I think that's what that phrase means, God in heaven. The implications of that spiritually to me is that God is great and I'm not. God is good and I'm not all the time. God is in charge, I think I am, but I'm really not. That's that prayer of adoration. But then you also find this prayer of confession. And not only does he confess his sins and the sins of others, but he takes it seriously. He asks God to forgive the sins of his people, but he uses the word we, us. That's remarkable. A leader of this caliber, that's really what makes him who he is because he recognizes that he carries some responsibility here. I don't think it's right to look around and point the finger at maybe the condition of our own family, our own community, our own world, and say, well, shame on them, and not feel any sort of responsibility to that. See, I think leaders step up and say, I have a responsibility to this. I don't know altogether what it is right now, but I'm going I'm to figure it out. <laughs> Nehemiah comes and he, he prays and he says, this isn't just their problem, this is my problem too. So you watch the dynamic there. Watch how your life changes, how your heart changes. Watch the doors of your heart open and, and, and compassion floods in. Nehemiah knew how to pray. And he starts with adoration, continues with confession. But then there's this prayer of intercession. That he's interceding. And all the prayers are important, but for me, this kind of prayer stands out. It really stands out. Interceding for others. Real interceding for others. Not only has the prayer or the spiritual side, and I want you to hear this, but always comes with a practical application, a personal involvement. Those that I've seen in my life who've interceded on my behalf haven't just prayed in their prayer closet, but they've stepped out and they've stepped toward me to love me, to be kind to me. You see, the prayer of intercession needs to step us right into action. That we need to lean in to those that we're praying over, those that we're interceding for. For example, I intercede for my Christian community in prayer, but do I intercede in practical and tangible ways? Do I put feet to my heart Honestly, my, my life should be a life of intercession. If you're sold out to Jesus, if, if you're all in for Jesus and you're following Jesus, then, then your life is a sacrifice. Your life is an intercession. You are interceding wherever you go. Whether it be word or in deed, you are interceding. That you may be the one that God chooses to make a difference in other people's lives. The actions of my life should reflect the intercession of my heart. That it's not just words, but it's action. And here's the last thought in, 
It has to do with the actions of my life. Really, as I said earlier, reflecting the intercession of my heart. You know, when we were growing up, my kids were growing up, my family was growing up, we pray for our kids to, to love Jesus, to love others. Someone would ask me, how do you, how do you pray for your, your boys especially? I said, I just have two prayers for my boys. I, I pray that they love Jesus and they love their mother. I figured one is heavenly, the other is heavenly, but it's earthly. And if you can figure those relationships out, you're probably going to be, be fine in marriage. You'll probably be fine raising a family. And to be able to see that fulfilled in, today is, 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 is encouraging. It's not without its troubles or struggles, but it's encouraging. But we want our children and we want those that we lead to follow. We want them to follow Jesus. So they, they need to see in my life that I'm not only praying for them, but I'm leading them in a life of intercession. I'm, I'm, I'm connecting them in places where they can serve. I'm connecting them in places where their heart can grow for Jesus because they see the brokenness of others. Putting them in proximity of brokenness. It's important. Our kids have taken trips to us over, with us overseas just so they could be there and they could, have, they could develop their own burden, their own faith to follow Jesus Christ. I think what we want to do is we want to serve in such a way that shines a light, the light of Jesus Christ. What we do is, Nehemiah does this, Nehemiah loved enough to volunteer. He wasn't just prayerfully engaged, he jumped in to help. And you see that the, the rest of the book. I mean, he's praying in the first chapter, but He's working after this. I mean, he stops and prays, but he's, he's on his way. He's getting something done. He's engaging in a project that God has put in front of him. See, prayerful intercession to volunteering have the, the potential to turn ordinary to extraordinary. When, when your heart feels one, one thing, it feels something, and you start to engage your heart Physically, you start to take the steps of faith needed to touch and reach people, then what happens is you're, you're, you're allowing the extraordinary to take place. You're allowing the Holy Spirit just to really work through your life, your words, to see redemption. What seems like doing the small things can change communities and nations forever. Just think about all the people in Scripture who just woke up and thought they were headed into an ordinary day. Just doing ordinary things. Moses, tending his father-in-law's sheep, stumbles onto a, a burning bush. I, I'd say that that changed the course of his life and the course of our life. I think of David following the orders of his father, saying, hey, go bring bread and cheese to your brothers on the front line and what he does is he goes there, and by the time the sun goes down that evening, he's a national hero. He was just going out delivering bread and cheese. Sometimes we think, well, we should be doing more than the mundane. No, just show up and just keep doing what God has asked you to do. Just keep putting one foot in front of another. Who knows what God has in store? Just show up. Peter and Andrew and James and John, what were they doing? The ordinary they just were out in the morning mending the nets of their fathers. <laughs> and guess who they run into? And Jesus. And Jesus calls them to a life of following him. 
radically changed our lives. What is common with all of the above is they all said yes, and they signed up to help. So many people want things to be different and better, but real change in and around you happens when you say yes to Jesus, and you say, yes, I will help, I will engage. Nehemiah left his comfort and his security to go off to a place to work rigorously in a place that was ruined, in a place that was dangerous. I think God is looking for people who love enough to say, I'll sign up. God, I'll sign up. I'll do what you ask me to do. And I'm so thankful that I'm part of a a church community that looks around its community, looks around this world and sees things that they can run to. So let me encourage you to do this. Keep praying and keep working. God has a lot in store and that's how he takes the ordinary and turns it into the extraordinary. Amen? Would you bow your head with me? You might be here this morning and, and um, really not understand this journey of faith or even what we're, you know, what we're talking about in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But I want to invite you today, if, if you want to lean into Jesus, his doors are open. <laughs> and, and, and he asks us to come. Whoever will come, let him come. I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and then at the end of the prayer, I'm going to dismiss all of us. But there are going to be prayer teams around this building. And if, if you need someone to pray with you about entering a journey with Jesus Christ or continuing, maybe there's some hardship that you're facing, you need someone to pray with you, please make sure you make your way to folks who will pray. Father, we want to thank you today for this incredible path that you put us on to follow you. Lord, we open up your word and we ask that you would just continue to fill us. And right now, just fill us with the wisdom and inspiration of Nehemiah in our own lives. That what we think and what we pray would turn into action as it did in Nehemiah's life. Lord, I thank you for keeping us, blessing us, and lead us in this day. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.